0: assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Father, we ask that tonight your grace would descend upon our minds and that there would be a renewal that happens That there would be a putting off of our old self, a putting on of the new self created in you. Lord, lead us and mature us into the new humanity that you have created us to be. For the purpose of saving all nations and people. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, if you guys saw on Facebook, I've titled this message, A New Humanity Part 2. Some of you guys might remember the first A New Humanity message. Um, This is part two because they're connected in Paul's thoughts. Now, if you weren't here for the New Humanity part one, it was in chapter two, verse 11, to the end of the chapter, verse 22. And it basically was this. You guys will remember when I say this. It was about the A-B conversation. The A is God, the B is the Jews, and the C is the Gentiles, and you guys have always heard the, this is an A-B conversation, so see your way out, and that was the Gentiles. The Jews were God's chosen people, and we have this covenant, this relationship, so Gentiles, see your way out. You guys aren't welcome here, And, and the Jews had these systems and things to make sure it was very hard to get into their community, and Paul is saying this is not the case anymore. In Jesus, it's not B, Jews. It's not C, Gentiles. There's a brand new conversation going on between humanity and God. It's the A, D conversation. So, Jews, be gone. And Gentiles, see ya. And the D is the new humanity. It's neither Jew nor Gentile. But it's this collaboration of all nations and people created. 2.13 or 15, one of those verses says. I think it's 15. 2.15 says created in Christ Jesus. A new creation, a new humanity. And so this new humanity comes together in Christ because of his blood. And at the end of the chapter, it says that we have become a new temple. We are the temple of God. And we finish that message with the application that if we are the temple of God, then we are the ones who are extending forgiveness to all those who are still far away from the people of God. We've been brought near because we've been forgiven. And we are to draw them near into this new humanity through forgiving other people. Not that we have the power to pardon all of their sins before God. But if we don't forgive their offenses towards us, then we're communicating to people that God will not forgive their offenses toward him. And so our role of forgiving other people is massive in what Jesus is doing in this new humanity. It's a humanity that's in covenant with him and is forgiving the offenders who come against them. Because Jesus forgave his offenders upon the cross. That was part one. Part two is this passage, and I have reason to think that they're connected for a couple reasons I'll show you in a minute. So this is what part two does. Part one told us what the new humanity is. It's this, this new group of people that is now in conversation with God and they're sent to go bring other people to this conversation. That's what it is. Part 2 says this is how the new humanity lives. So you are this created new thing. and Now this is how you live. This is what it looks like. And we see um, a description and illustration of this new humanity living together in a colony, in a community, which Paul would call the church. So here's the connecting points. You notice in verse 18, 4.18, that Paul says that these Gentiles, which, by the way, is really the Greek word for nations. So when you read Gentiles, understand that that just means nations. Non-Jewish nations. So the Gentiles, it says, are alienated from the life of God. They're separated, they're far off from the life of God. Well, New Humanity Part 1, in 2 verse 12 Paul tells us, remember that you were at one time separated from God, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise. So you had that separation. So Paul is picking up, the passage began, New Humanity 1, there's a separation. New Humanity Humanity Part 2, there's a separation. And then New Humanity Part 1 closed with, in um, 2 verse 21, that you guys are being brought into a holy temple in the Lord. That's what our gathering is, is, it's God's temple. And in New Humanity Part 2, look how it closes. In 4 verse 32, he says that we are to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. So forgiving. And then in 5.2, it says that Jesus gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Well, that is what happens in a temple. The forgiveness of sins and the offering of sacrifices. So Paul is bookending this passage the same way he bookended New Humanity Part 1. Alienation Temple. Here we are, Alienation Temple. This is our function. We're forgiving. We're offering sacrifices, and the sacrifices are ourselves. So all that to briefly show you that we are continuing New Humanity Part 2. So now what Paul's going to do is he's going to tell you, now that you know, it's neither about Jew nor Gentile nor whatever nationality you are, but it's about one new blood people. The blood of Jesus here is a new humanity with him as the head. This is how it looks to be a new humanity. We know what it is now, but what does it look like? So, look with me at 420. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Verse 22. Put off your old self, that's the old humanity... Which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitfulness, through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And to verse twenty-four, put on the new self—that's the new humanity, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So, what Paul is doing in our series called Identity. This is what JC number twelve. You said eleven, yeah, eleven last week. This is number twelve. What we're seeing in this part of our identity is that we are being called into a new humanity. That's your identity. And we're going to look at what this looks like. Now, what he's saying, first of all, is your new humanity means whatever you used to be is no more. Your old humanity. Your identity is shifted. So put off this old self. It was corrupt according to the deceitful desires that you had once. And then he says put on the new self. It's created. That's that's the word we keep seeing in Ephesians. This word created. Remember chapter 2 verse 10. You were dead, but you were resurrected with Christ and created in Christ Jesus for good works. In 2 verse 11 it said that you were once far away from Christ, alienated, exiled. But Jesus, through his blood, created a new humanity. That's neither Jew nor Gentile. And now we come to chapter 4 and we see that he's saying, your old self needs to go away because it's corrupt. It's like the present creation. There's this rebellion that's happening and creation is corrupt. It's not as God fully wanted it to be created. There's, there's hindrances. It's under a curse. That's, that's your old self. But your new self is created. It, this is the humanity that God always wanted humanity to be. It's as if humanity at large is immature. Adam was created in the image of God. And when he rebelled, his descendants became less mature to that image. And his descendants became less mature. And sin began to prevail and corruption began to increase. And the maturity, this is not evolution. This is the opposite. This is... Is it devolution? (laughs) Devolution? Devolution? This is going the other way. We're going from the image of God to animals in the way that we act and handle ourselves. That's the old humanity. And Paul's saying that your identity is that you have matured from that to the humanity that God had created in mind with Adam. That that, that now in Christ you are created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It's verse 24. So that's what he's calling us to, the reason I'm hammering this section is because this is the middle of our passage. Notice verse 20 to 24, it's the middle. We've got passage under it and passage above it. So what he does is he takes the old self, the old humanity, and deals with that in verses 17 to 19, the first verses. Then he takes the new self, the new humanity, and shows you what that looks like in contrast to the old humanity in verse 25 to the end of 5.2. So... What we have here is this new identity. It's a new humanity in the very middle. And we're going to look at the two opposite humanities. Old, new. Probably should reverse that because the new is matured. So, new, old. So, so let's look at the old humanity. Let's look at what we are maturing from. What we're to be putting off and taking off. um, Verse 17 is summarized right here. No longer walk... In the futility of your mind. The Gentiles are walking in the futility of their minds. You are not to walk, therefore, in the futility of your minds. What does it mean to walk in the futility of your minds? In short, this is what it means. And then I'll show you why it means this. To walk in the futility of your mind is to walk in a never-ending, self-seeking quest to feel alive. A never-ending, self-seeking quest to feel alive. Now, let's look at how this comes about. What is the futility of the mind? Futility, the word, has the, you guys, um, Ecclesiastes, let me just do it this way. Ecclesiastes, what does the preacher say at the very beginning of the book and say throughout the book? Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It means it's all meaningless, it's all empty, it's all purposeless. It's like literally the word is a bell, the name Abel, it's a breath. Like Abel's life was very short lived. Whoa, what was that? That's what the preacher's saying. Like, everything is vanity. Well, this word futility is actually the same word that the preacher uses in Ecclesiastes. Uh, in the Greek version of Ecclesiastes, the one that Paul was reading. So he could very well have had Ecclesiastes in mind when he's thinking about the nations and then walking in the vanity of their minds. They're walking like there's nothing in there, if you will. There's this hollowness, this nothingness, and they're, they're constantly looking to consume and to fill because they know there's nothing going on there. There's, there's got to be more to what I'm walking and living in. And let me grab and grab and grab. and There's just this constant quest. To not be futile anymore. And he explains how you get to this futility. It's in verse 18. There's four steps. He says that they're darkened in their understanding. Okay, the lights have gone off. Their mind is black. Like the beginning of the Genesis creation story. It's blackness. There's nothing there. Not a good scene. Then he says they're alienated from the life of God. Severance from him. They're exiles like Adam after Eden. Not a good situation at all. Then it says that they are ignorant, that the ignorance that is in them. So ignorance means ignoring something intentionally. They're ignoring God. They're keeping him out of the picture and trying to find whatever they're looking for without him. And then it says, because of the hardness of heart, their hard hearts. And that makes you think of Pharaoh and his hard heart in Egypt. And this is the picture. So their hard heart caused them to ignore God, which then resulted in the separation from God, and then made their mind go black and dark, and so now they're sitting around going, Life is futile! (laughs) Because you've devolved from what you were meant to be, from what you're created to be. You're this old, cursed, decaying humanity. Now, verse 19... As a result of all this, it says that they've become callous, and I think that what this verse is doing is it's summarizing this whole picture. All these things we've been talking about: you're dark, you're ignorant, you're the lights have gone. Oh, I said that. You're alienated, um, you're hard-hearted. All this summarizes callousness. Now, the New King James says that they no longer feel anything, and the NIV says that they've lost all sensitivity. Just to give you the idea of what this callousness refers to, anybody play guitar? couple of you will know it who have ever at least given it the try. Oh, yeah, you guys. wasn't too long ago you were starting, right? I mean, you remember, right? The pain of your fingers. Well, I remember, and it was a long time ago. Um, I still have calluses. Uh, that's what happens when you play guitar. Your fingers hurt, and then they develop these little hard things. They're really weird, and sometimes you can peel them right off. It's kind of gross. And this hard is... Like stuff grows on them, and that's a callus. And it doesn't really, the point of a callus is so you no longer feel anything on the ends of your fingers. So that when you're playing those little strings that can cut through flesh, they're no longer cutting through you. They're, there's a callus there saving you and guarding you. And the point is that it's, it's like this numbing device, and that's them. They're walking through life callus they're numbed, they don't feel. And so what we see is that as a result, verse 19 says, is that they go around giving themselves up to sensuality, greedy for every kind of impurity. Sensuality is essentially the practice of sin without any concern of what God or people think. So in other words, it's it's this practice of sin that has no boundaries. It's like, there's no morals in life. There's no boundaries. It's just whatever goes. And sensuality, you hear the word sensual in it. Senses is what it all comes from. Sensuality deals with feeling stuff. And so they're greedily, that means hunger and wanting and egotistically receiving all kinds of immorality so that they can feel something. That's, That's the picture he's creating. They go around with no bounds. Self-seeking egotism, trying to grab greedy for anything because they want to know that they're alive. They can't feel anything anymore and they just want to feel something because that will tell them you still have a heartbeat. It's a sad picture. The irony is, is that this doesn't actually help anything. You guys know when you have a wad of foil? And when you begin to press foil into itself, it gets harder and harder, right? Um, I always loved to make it as hard as I could. And then Johnny and I and my brother would throw it around the house like a baseball. Sometimes we would swing at it with um, wrapping paper tubes. (laughs) Um, You know, you make it as hard as possible because when it's harder and more condensed, it flies better. And so, you know, you squeeze it, and the more the foil becomes self centered, Everything's moving into itself. It's egotistic. It gets harder and harder and harder to the point that really, for what foil is meant to be used for, that foil is completely useless except to be thrown around and hit around. Uh, Foil needs to be expanded, relaxed, moldable. It's made to cover things and be helpful. And this is what humanity does is in seeking to satisfy self, everything is pressing inwardly until they get harder and harder and harder and they can no longer feel anything. So he's saying don't walk like that in the futility of your minds. Don't go on this never-ending self-centered quest to feel alive. Because life does not consist of what you feel and the externalities Life is something that you've received through Jesus Christ in his resurrection itself. And so he calls us instead to the new humanity. The new humanity, conversely, is not seeking selfishly. It's not self-seeking, it's self-sacrificing. That's what he's going to show us. The new humanity is the reverse. not self-seeking, it's self-sacrificing this is what it looks like in verses 25 to 52. Now before we get to those verses, notice what he says in verse 20. So that's the old humanity. But That's old. It's not the way you learn Christ. How did we learn Christ then? What is the new humanity supposed to look like? He gives us a hint. It looks like Christ. And then in five, one it says, be imitators of God. Okay, so we're doing it. Learn from Christ. Imitate God. There you go. This is the new humanity. And what does that look like? Verse 2, five, two. Walk in love. What does that look like? As Christ loved us and gave himself up. See, there's a self-sacrificing, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So the new humanity is not self-seeking, it's self-sacrificing. What Paul is telling us is that your identity in the new humanity means that if you want to feel alive, like everybody does, you need to bleed. If you want to feel alive, you need to bleed because blood is evidence that the heart is beating. You need to lay down something. You need something to hurt. You need the self-sacrificing. And so there's this interesting paradox that's being proposed. is that if you want to feel alive, stop trying to live and start dying. If you want to feel alive, don't go for the old humanity. Go for the new humanity. And this is God's new humanity in some. It's that the new humanity lives to give life. It lives to give. That's that's the new humanity. It's this outward pushing, this expanding. It's what God told Adam to do in Eden. It's not sit here in Eden and munch on the vegetables until you die. It was expand this garden. Get going. Bring all of creation under my rule. And then Jesus said the same thing to us at the end of Matthew. Get ye out and make disciples of all the nations. Because this is the new humanity. Is it's outward focus. It's self-sacrificing. And if you want to feel alive, go and do something that makes you bleed. Something that hurts a little bit. You're like, oh my golly, that doesn't sound like good news. That's not a good way to do this. I like the old humanity better. I mean, it might be a bad symbol for your eternal fate or whatever, but you know what? At least I get to receive and take and take and take and take life like a leech. But here's what you have to understand. I know it it flips our mind, which is why verse 23 says you need your mind to be renewed. You need to start thinking that self-sacrifice is better than self-seeking. This is what you have to understand. The old humanity is founded upon the concept of survival. And this is preached very openly. It's not a secret. Our science has made this its main message. It's called the survival of the fittest. It's a world that's out to kill each other, and the strong survive, and life is about finding ways to progress with whatever means you can grab. And that's the old humanity. It's we don't feel alive, things are wrong, we know that. So at the expense of whatever, whether I take all the people I can and suck the life out of them so that I can feel something, or I cheat other people so that I can gain something, it's this constant self-seeking, this taking life, not giving life. So, the old humanity is based upon survival, but the new humanity, and don't miss this, it's based upon resurrection. And what resurrection says it's, look at Jesus, for example. He comes out of the tomb immortal, with a body fit for heaven, with true life, as everything was meant to be. But how did he get to the resurrection? He gave up his life and he died. And so the new humanity being based upon resurrection says that the more you self-sacrifice, the more you bleed, the more you die, the more you feel real life, resurrection life, coursing through your existence. The life that we were meant to experience. The life that doesn't look at the world and say, Vanity! All is vanity! Life that says, I'm made to live forever. And I've got the life of God himself within me. And I'm waiting for all this to transform around me. Um, Resurrection, life, comes after death. So the new humanity is self-sacrificing. It lives to give life. And yeah, that might sound hard, but the biblical paradox is that that is where true life is found. And Jesus didn't go to the cross for no reason. He did it to show us how to live. And I know, as well as taking your sin from you. He showed us what it looks like when God is king. As that cross was his throne. And he said, this is true life. This is my kingdom. When people bleed and give up their lives. And so he's now calling, Paul is calling us to imitate that. Be the new humanity. Move in that direction. Now how do we become this new humanity uh, apart from imitating this very thing how do we get to this point where we're strong enough to say yeah self sacrificing that's that's this group <laughs> that's our identity self sacrificing people because that's not how i wake up in the morning i don't wake uh, there's there's one biscuit left during tea time in the morning one biscuit it's Brittany or me. The old humanity is about survival. I was here first, I get it. <laughs> but the new humanity is about self-sacrificing. Now, I don't sit there and say, oh, happiness, give it away. More like my mentality is, oh, she's not up yet. She would never know. <laughs> so I, I mean, the practical question, I'm just trying to put it in perspective, is that Okay, yeah, the new humanity it might sound great, but it's actually harder than it sounds to get to that. So what do we do as a group, and how do we get to the point where we're saying we identify ourselves with the new humanity, not just in concept, but in practice? How do we get to that point? Paul's going to show us what it looks like and then tell us how to do it, Okay. So I'm going to show you five illustrations, what this looks like, and then we'll close with two steps of how to do that illustration. So the illustrations here in verse 25 to the end of chapter 4. Five ways that the new humanity operates. It's what it looks like. Number one, the new humanity speaks truth. I know. You all know you're not supposed to lie, but just just follow the concepts of old humanity takes life, new humanity gives life. In verse 25, he says, "Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another." Why is falsehood to be put away? Is it because it makes God mad? You're going to hell because you lied. Or I'm withholding blessing because you lied. That's that's not what he's saying. He's saying the point of falsehood is that falsehood is taking It's withholding information from people. It's not being honest. It's this deceitfulness, this darkness. And the new humanity is not taking life, it's giving. So it tells the truth. It's speaking and giving and infusing into people's lives what benefits and builds. Number two, the new humanity looks like people who are in control of their emotions. That's verse 26. Verse 26. He says, be angry. See? Can you imagine that's in the Bible? Be angry! (laughs) And that's what you'll tell your parents next time you're angry with them. No, but the be angry is because, look, the new humanity isn't a people void of emotions. It's people who are in control of their emotions. So the the, the command here is, be angry and do not sin. So it's, okay, you have these feelings and these emotions. That's not the sin yet. See, feeling anger is part of being human. Dealing with anger is the art of being the new humanity. (laughs) So he's calling us to learn how to be in control like Adam was, to be in control of creation. We are to begin to be in control of these little parts of creation that are beginning to happen in the new humanity. Starting with your emotions, be in control. So you're angry, but don't sit there and withhold and take life. See, see, what happens when we just hold on to our anger is it turns into bitterness, and it turns into a grudge, and things don't go well. There's death happening in, in people's relationships. But he says, um, what does it say in the next verse? Be angry, do not, sin. Uh, do not let the sun go down on your anger. So deal with it. Life-giver. I know it's hard to reconcile. It's humiliating. Sometimes there's pain that happens. But reconciliation is life-giving, because that's what Jesus did. That's imitating God. So it's not to be angry and well, I'm in control of it, but I'm just going to let it sit here and fester within me. That's that's eating you from this, that being in control of it. And let's say, okay, you know what? Boom! Here's my problem, JC. Let's reconcile. <laughs> that's life-giving. Uh, number three, the new humanity shares the fruit of their labors. It shares the fruit of their labors in verse twenty-eight. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. And here's the point. So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, the new humanities, this this is a step up, okay? Decent people, including the old humanity, realize, okay, stealing's bad. That's taking life. It's supposed to be giving Um, So the new new humanity is not just saying, okay, stop stealing, work for yourself, okay? Stop taking from JC his stuff and earn your own things. It's taking a step beyond that. It's work for your own things and then work so that you have surplus, so that a surplus can be given to people. It's not just work for self, it's work for the benefit of all. So you've got the surplus of coats. Well, Jesus actually said, if one has no coat, give your coat. It's the point of, okay, we are working people who are making the world better through our hard work. And in the surplus of what we get out of that, we're helping those who are not quite along the same path as us. We're giving life, not taking life. The new humanity also looks, number four, like verse 29. They learn the language of grace. The new humanity has a new language that it speaks. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace. Give grace to those who hear. See, there's that other outward, that, that self-sacrificing, that life-giving part of this new humanity. And it's learning a new language. It's not a language that just simply sees an awkward moment and says, I've got to say something. I don't like this silence. I've got to say something. It doesn't just fill the dead air with whatever. It seizes the occasion. It seizes the art of language as an opportunity, not just to, like, oh, we filled the dead air. There's no awkwardness. We're a great group. We're new humanity. No, it's that there's this language that is building each other. And the point isn't just stop saying bad things. What Paul is saying is stop saying bad things because what you're doing is you're missing the opportunity that could be said. Language could be building each other up in grace. As God gives us grace to meet all of our needs, our language should be giving that same kind of grace. Meeting each other's needs. The downcast can be encouraged by a word. How fitly spoken a word can be, the Proverbs say. Like apples of gold on settings of silver. I don't have any of that, but that sounds nice. And you can give that to me with an apt word. (laughs) Um, That's the point learn this language of grace. And yeah, there's a time for it to be like goofy and trivial, but he says don't miss the opportunities where your words can build. They can speak truth and life into people. And then finally, number 5, the way the new humanity looks. The best way to give is to forgive. The best way to give is to forgive. Really? Yeah. Clever, Yeah. <laughs> to 32. It's the last two verses of the chapter. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Dude, wow. Like, he said every conceivable word for friction between people. Like, I can't even add another word to that. Malice, anger, slander, clamor. Like, I didn't even. Clamor? Whoa. But look that one up. <laughs> Instead of those things, see, that's the old humanity. Instead of those things, verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And here's the big, like, guilt trip reason. Because God was that to you. So if we're the new humanity created in Christ, then there has to be this reciprocation of what he's given to us coming out To the world. The whole beginning commission of the entire Bible, scratch that, of the people of God. The first commission, Eden had one, so. The first commission to the people of God. Abraham, what did he say? You are to be a blessing command. You are to be a blessing. And you see Abraham's family doing that through the history of the scriptures. You see um, Joseph's dad, Jacob. You see Jacob blessing Pharaoh. And you see that—that's just the one thought I had in my mind. So don't expect a list. But you see this blessing going on. The, Israel is to bless God's people. Uh, Israel, as God's people, is to bless the world. We're to be the same. Jesus sends us out. Paul says that you are sons and daughters of Abraham, and so we're to be these things because christ was these to us on our behalf and that's that's the sum the five illustrations the old humanity is taking life the new humanity is giving life and that's what it looks like in the context of people church community so that's what it looks like how do we get there how do we get from how do we get to the point where we renew our minds where everything switches and we say Woo, done with self-seeking i'm going for the self-sacrifice <laughs> well there's two steps we need to understand first that God creates this. It's verse 24, that the new self is created in the likeness of God. God is doing the creating, and he does his creating as we yield to his creative work in two ways. And the first is this, verse 23 says, Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So be renewed in your mind. You need this whole flip to like self-sacrifice, to be this new humanity. So be renewed in the spirit of your minds as you learn from Jesus. That is how the switch happens. That is how you accomplish verse 23. To be renewed in the spirit of your mind is to do verse 20. How you learn Christ, he said. That is not how you learn Christ. You learn him in a different way. Assuming that you've been taught of him. Assuming that you know of him. And then 5 verse 1 and 2. Be imitators of him because he gave his life. There's this knowledge of Christ in the church. This sharing of who Jesus is and his life. Not, Not like what... Some people think my class is all about at school, at LACS. They think, oh, the life of Jesus. Cool, so like, what's your test? Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem? (laughs) Like, seriously? Is that learning Christ? It was so important that I knew that. Gee, if I was only born in Bethlehem, I could be a blessing to the world. That's not the point. The point of learning Christ is learning that he self-sacrificed. It's watching the story of Jesus portrayed in four angles from the Gospels and all of them climaxing with him on the cross and saying, There, that's God as king. It's not the kings of this earth who lord it over them and self-seek. It's a king who actually self-sacrifices. And this is what the new earth is going to look like. And this is what the new humanity looks like ahead of its time. Self-sacrificing. So learn Christ. But here's the challenge is that we live in a society where not just the world but the church itself spends more time watching television than they do reading the bible and i'm not trying to lay the guilt trip on us because it's probably all of us I'm not trying to say that TV is going to be sinful and you all need to shut it off. But I am bringing up this strange concept that we're this new humanity and we are actually learning from the old humanity through the television, through music, through whatever else you're into, more than we're learning through the Bible and learning of Jesus. And your mind is going to tell you how to live as you feed it. Whatever you feed your mind with, it's going to fuel your body. And if we continue to fuel ourselves with this display of the old humanity... How in the world is your mind going to be renewed? We need to learn from Christ. And the scriptures are the first place to do that. To get our mind absorbed and watched. I don't get all of it. That's cool. You can get a story. You can read the whole picture and get the big idea and absorb it. Soak in it. Marinate in it. That'll renew your mind. And as a result, when you do go to the television you're going to be more informed to be a critic of the old humanity culture rather than just absorb it. Oh, okay, that's how people are. Oh, cool. You'll be more of a critic and you'll be able to stand against it and enjoy it at the same time. So, number two. So first, be renewed in the spirit of your mind by learning Christ. Number two, realize that as members of one another, lesson verse 25, you're members of one another. Realize that as members of one another, we have... The ability to empower one another. As members of one another, the ability to empower one another. There's strength in numbers. Um, You know, lions hunt in packs, or what are they called? Prides. Lion, wolves hunt in packs and that, there's, there's strategy as they go I remember watching planet earth and the, the hyenas going after the gazelle and they, they seriously it was amazing they had the helicopter view and they showed you how the dogs were intentionally going around to flank these animals into an ambush they're smart I was impressed that these dogs have strategy that we do in war <laughs> anyways I'm getting off I'm getting so excited about that um, the strength in numbers now, I, I came upon this quote from St. Augustine. He's one of the great old first forefathers of our church, um, St. Augustine, way back in the day. His book, Confessions, he shares this story, and I think it speaks powerfully about the power of numbers. This is what he says. Uh, this is what he, The quote is, he just stole a bunch of pears from somebody's property. And he says this about his stealing the pears. Had I been alone, I would not have done it. I remember my state of mind to be thus at the time of stealing the pears. I was thinking, alone, I would never have done it. Therefore, my love in the act was to be associated with the gang in whose company I did it. What all that is saying is, if I was alone, I would never have stolen the pears. But I realized that as I was with these people, I was empowered to do something I wouldn't normally do on my own to steal these pears. And I realized that the power of that was I wanted acceptance in this society of people. And there's two lessons to learn here. Number one, we don't need to find our identity in a society of you're cool if you. We have our identity in Jesus Christ as the new humanity, number one. So he's not going to be more loving of you because he stole pears. Number two, the old cliche... Peer pressure. And what you usually hear about peer pressure is, Whoa, careful! Peer pressure is (laughs) dangerous. But what we see, though, is that friendship isn't dangerous. Friendship is powerful. That's the more accurate way to look at it. That friendship is powerful enough to make you do bad things that you would never do on your own. But conversely, it's powerful enough to make you do good things you would never do on your own. It's about whose company you're finding yourself in. And so, in a community of the new humanity, as members of one another, we have the ability to empower each other to do things we would never normally do on our own isolated island of Christianity. So, the encouragement is that we will begin to look more like the new humanity. We'll be more apt to be self-sacrificing as we do it side by side with each other it becomes contagious it becomes empowering so those are the two ways that we can become the self-sacrificing this live to give life humanity is that if we renew our minds by learning jesus spending more time with just the concepts of what he's about in the bible and and less time with the old humanity just a little bit just just balance it a little bit you know we're not trying to like radical change bust that tv that would be extreme we can you can get wherever you want to be um and then number two that to realize that together there's so much power and let's not become islands but let's as a community be the new humanity it's the unified creation Remember one verse 10 that jesus is seeking to reunify heaven and earth together and all things in them therefore be the united he says let's pray Father, we ask for the empowerment of your Spirit to make us a new humanity. uh, That we would be such in order to give life to the old humanity that's dying and alienated from you. In this world of death, make us a community of life built upon the resurrection because we're willing to give up life that we may indeed truly live. So, Father, bless, bless, bless this mountain. And wherever else we go, because of the new humanity you're maturing us into be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.